Hey everybody, what's up? It's Chase. Welcome to the show. Another episode of the show. That's right, the Chase Travis Live Show here on Creative Live. I am very happy to be in your ears. And as with every show where we interview people, we've got a doozy of a guest. This person, his name is Tom Bilyeu. And you probably know Tom if you know anything about like the food and nutrition market or anything about energy bars. He created a billion, that's right, billion with the B, dollar brand, Quest Nutrition, and then he spun an amazing and inspirational content studio out of it called Impact Theory. Uh, you should check his channels out on the internet's Impact Theory, somewhere right around a, a million subs on the YouTube channel. Uh, just been making really powerful, inspirational content for some time. I first met Tom when he was in the energy bar uh, world. We had a bunch of mutual friends, very entrepreneurial. And in this episode, we cover an amazing arc we first start off with his life journey, and the life journey starts off with being told that your job in life is to be an employee, put your head down, you know, no tall poppy syndromes, no stick your head up and be seen. This is just like stay low, do your job, and get out without very much work or effort. And we all know that that's not how greatness is created. And so we get to hear his pivot. We watch his arc of trying to find something that he's good at and what he loves and wandering in the woods like all of us. I think that's a, a common misunderstanding is that people who know their calling in life know it from day one and they just go find it. Tom does a really nice job of being vulnerable, sharing his journey. And then ultimately the cool part, this is like why it's a little bit of a hero's journey episode because he goes in and out of success and then finds it at a grand level in creating Quest Nutrition only to walk away from it after having sold the company or enough uh, a founder liquidity event as it's called and it's just a really cool story to see him take the resources from that business and pour it into something that he's deeply passionate about, which is a real thrust of what we talk about. We cover a handful of other bullets I'll, I'll cover right now. We talk about neuroplasticity. If, that's, if you don't know what that is, that is your, your ability to rewire your brain, literally to reconnect different parts of your brain that used to not be connected so that you can control your thought patterns to make the way it goes is neurons that wire together fire together so if you're in a negative thought pattern how do you undo that we talk about neuroplasticity we talk a lot about anxiety tom shares his personal battle with near crippling anxiety what he did to get through it and now to be a public speaker speaking on stages in front of tens of thousands of people uh, very very inspirational segment of the show talk about some struggles that he's had along the way. We talk about a handful of successes, not just in terms of money, but in terms of mindset uh, and how he has impact theory. The brand that he's built right now is ultimately it's a, a content play to like literally rewire your mindset, something that was a powerful change in his life. He's been able to make that his life's work a bunch of cool projects along the way, uh, a comic book for one that he recently released with the very well-known DJ Steve Aoki, a comic book called Neon Future. We cover a lot of ground, as you can tell. Tom's exceedingly vulnerable, very, very honest, very passionate. You're going to hear a lot of fire in his voice, and there's some... There's some... Uh, we talk directly to a couple personas that we know are listening. If you're out there and you're stuck, you got to listen. If you're out there, you're in the you're alone somewhere trying to figure out your next move you have a lot of energy and, and power and and you you've, you're fired up but don't know how to apply yourself we cover that in short there's something i hope for everybody in our community in this episode so stay tuned 
for the episode, but before we dive into it, I need to do a quick little intro from a sponsor here. Thanks very much. Check this out, y'all. This episode of the Chase Jarvis Live Show is sponsored by Creative Live for Business. This is different than the regular old Creative Live. So whether you love, passionately love where you work, or it's sort of like meh, or on the other side, if it's a creative wasteland and you want to inspire some change in the place that you work, you're not alone. Studies say that three out of four people, that's right, 75% of people say they're not living up to their creative potential at work. If so, I want to introduce you to Creative Live's newest product. It's called Creative Live for Business. And in a nutshell, it's a way to get access to all of Creative Live's content for your entire team and or entire company and maybe bring in some much needed energy and innovation to that team or company simply by going to creativelive.com slash teams. Now, Creative Live for Business is already in service of several of the top creative firms on the planet and a powerhouse list of many of the Fortune 100 top brands. These brands care about creativity and innovation. And you know what? These companies pay for this for their employees. So it doesn't matter if you're a team of five people, 55, or or if there's 50,000 people in the company. If this sounds interesting to you and you want to check it out, either you can check it out or refer your boss to Creative Live by sending them to creativelive.com slash teams. Remember, the most forward-thinking companies, they prioritize things like creative skills, like design thinking, leadership, collaboration, wellness. And again, with Creative Live for Business, you get access to all that taught by some of the top instructors in the world all on Creative Live. So again, you can visit or send your boss a link to creativelive.com slash teams to learn more. What's up? How you doing? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I have had the privilege of being on yours here in Los Angeles. So it was about time. I know we were working on a little bit. Happy to reciprocate. And thanks for joining. Dude, really excited to be here. Uh, We got to go back to the start. Uh, I I sometimes will wander in the woods a little bit at the beginning. But to me, the concept of creating a billion dollar brand, leaving it all to build an internet television show or series of shows, Mm -hmm. you do like four or five hours a week, it doesn't come on accident. It happens because of something in your past. I want to know, was there an entrepreneurial, like were you raised an entrepreneurial family? Start me at the start. Oh man, at the beginning. So no, I was not raised in an entrepreneurial family. Um, I always tell people very sincerely that my family taught me to be a good employee. To Uh keep my head down, do as little work as possible, and avoid punishment at all costs. (laughs) And that is, that's truthfully how I was raised. And growing up, um, my dad always wanted me to go to school. So that was a thing. Like in my family, it was just assumed you were going to go to college. So it wasn't like if you went, it was like what college are you going to, when you go, when you graduate. And so I always had to have jobs during the summer to make sure that I understood that menial labor was not where I wanted to be (laughs) and that I would actually go through a school. So um, in the beginning, I had paper routes. I worked in a paint factory, a paint store. Um, I actually manufactured paint for a while. Big into paint, apparently. Well, because my dad worked at a, there in you a go. paint company. There so you go. back in your yep, hometown-ish, yep. Uh, in Tacoma, uh, a company called Parker Paint. I don't think they exist anymore. Dude, I, I remember I can draw the logo. Nice. Parker paint. Wow, that's amazing. So I, draw the logo. I was For those of you that grew up in Seattle, this is like you, Parker yeah, was an institution. Yeah, they know for sure. So I worked there for a bunch of summers and really did learn work ethic. And it, was, it ends up becoming this sort of wax on, wax off moment. 
Uh, but at the time, I just hated it. And so didn't have entrepreneurial instincts and really did see job as sort of something where you kind of hide as much as you can and you just punch in and punch out. And so go to film school, have a very... Whoa, 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 whoa. film school. Yes. Was, that, was yeah. that risky when they said, yes, I'm going to college, dad, but I'm going to film school? No, and you know what's funny? I never asked my dad about that. Yeah. And that, I think, probably more fell to my mom. My mom was like, what do you want to do? Chase your dreams. And in fact, I almost chickened out of going to school. I was one of the only two kids from my graduating class left the state. Everybody else either didn't go to college or went to state schools. Yeah. And it was me and one other guy. And I was like really panicking about leaving home right at the 11th hour. Wow. And my mom was like, look, you have to go. We got in this huge fight. And she all but kicked me out. She wow. was like, you are going. You're never going to look back and say, what if? So I was like, all right. So I end up going and I get there to here to Los Angeles. Okay. And man, I, I really take to it. And I believed that I was naturally talented. And so I'm doing my film school thing. It's going really well. And uh, well, actually even before that, I didn't have the grades to, or the um, SAT scores to get into film school. Okay. And I didn't realize they're actually separate. So just because I got into USC didn't mean I was going to get into USC film school. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's and like so, the business school is a subset of yeah. some. Yeah, yeah, I get So they it. have like 19 different colleges. You have to apply separately, which I had no idea. Yeah. And I go to the career counselor, and she's like, listen, you're not going to get into film school. And you're taking classes, your GE classes, like you've already been accepted. She goes, you're going to end up being here for five years. You're going to have to repeat this year. I see this happen all the time. You're statistically more likely to get into Harvard Law than you are to get into USC film school. And that's with the SAT scores. And homie, you do not have the SAT scores. I got a 990. I took it twice. That's my combined score. So I'm like, no, 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 I'm going to get in. And I found out one of the guys on the admissions committee was one of my teachers. So he had like these lunch hours where you could join him for lunch. So I joined him. Nobody else did. And so I had him for an hour. And I was just like, what do I do to get into film school? I said, I don't have the SAT scores for this. And he said, Tom, look, SAT is just supposed to tell me how well you're going to do in college. But you're not eligible again until you're a junior anyway. So he's like, that gives you two years to actually get good grades. So if you get good grades, he's like, I'm not even going to read your application and we'll let you in. So I locked myself in a dorm room for two years. Wow. I didn't do drugs. I didn't drink. I didn't date. Nothing. I studied. And wow. I got, at that point, I probably had a 4.0. End up getting into film school. Realize I'm actually really good. I have the natural talent. I'm killing it. And there's three classes in film school. Your first one's 290. It's like really basic, black and white, simple Super 8 stuff. Then you go to a 310, where for a whole semester, it's you and one other guy. And based on my class before that, I had gotten like the best guy to agree to be my cinematographer, which was already a big deal. Wow. We make an awesome 310, crushes, gets a lot of attention. And I'm one of only four people selected to direct a senior thesis film. So I'm like, man, I got this. Like I'm natural talented. I knew it. Like I had an instinct that this was going to be my thing. And then I screw up my 480 thesis film so badly that people are like making memes of it and making fun of it and like cutting these gag reels together because it was that bad. And I realized wow. a very painful truth. I had no talent. And my whole world came crashing down on me. And so I graduate film school and I think, I mean, imagine, I get into the school that I'm Nothing. more likely to get into Harvard Law, told I'm never going, literally straight to my yeah. face, told I'm never going to get in. I get in, then out of all those people that get whittled down, I get whittled down again to one of four. So I think I'm gonna make this film. And you also think you have talent, isn't like- the, 100%. Like, but 
you do clearly have talent. No, so, well, so we're gonna have to differentiate, and this okay. is one thing in my story that I really, really want people listening to understand because uh, the punchline becomes I build a billion dollar business, but from not having entrepreneurial instincts. So right now I know people are watching and they don't believe in themselves, and here's the bad news. They're right not to believe in themselves, but there's one thing that flips it all around, which is you can learn anything. So I graduate film school, I have this horrifying moment which humbles me and literally slaps me around, makes me the laughing stock, and I have to face the truth. I don't have talent. Now I don't yet understand Carol Dweck's notion of a growth mindset, so I'm like Captain Fixed Mindset. Yeah. So I leave film school, I thought I was gonna have my thesis film, I thought I was gonna get me a three picture deal, and it just ends up that I'm, now I don't know what to do, right? Because this is before YouTube, there's no yeah. like easy way into the film industry, it's yeah. like, if you want to make a no-budget film, you need $100,000. Yeah. I've never seen $100,000 in my life at this point. I don't know anybody that has $100,000. So it really might as well have been $100 million. And because I have a fixed mindset and zero entrepreneurial instincts, I'm just sliding towards depression. Wow. So I'm coming home. I can't afford furniture. I'm laying face down on the floor of my apartment. I lived on an air mattress with a leak in it for almost two years. With a leak in it. That's yeah, like so next level air I, mattress. I would wake up every morning on the floor <laughs> because it would deflate slowly overnight, <laughs> and every night, no matter how tired I was, I had to blow that thing up, and I didn't want to spend the $20 it would have taken me. Like, but that's the level of broke. So I'm just in this really, really dark place, and almost a year goes by, and it's the summer after my graduating year, and this school called the New York Film Academy comes to LA. And they're like, hey, we're doing summer classes, and we need teachers, and so I end up being a teacher, and but I'm, you have no talent though. Right, huh? so now I'm panicked. Well, those who can do, those who can't teach, okay. right? So that's the adage. So okay. I'm thinking, well, this makes sense. I can't make films, so at least I can go teach. Okay. And so I go to teach and I'm kind of panicking because I don't feel like I know enough to teach. So I start researching at night, like how to teach. And it begins to like crystallize everything I've learned. And I go in and I'm able to teach it. And I realize I can actually help them make their films better. Like I know what they need to do. And when they listen, their films get better. And I thought, wait a second, if I can make their films better, I should be able to make my films better. And right at this time, this is the late 90s, there's this whole hotly debated topic about brain plasticity. Mm -hmm. And there, some people are saying, look, you're born with what you're born with. Genes right. and all that stuff, yep. You've got the number of neurons you've got, you've got. Yeah. That's it, homie. Yeah. Every beer you drink is like you know, 10,000 less. And yeah. it's just, it's a one-way street to decline. And then there was another camp going, that's just not true. And you're making new neurons your entire life. You can learn new tricks, rewire the brain up until the day you die. And I thought, all right, I don't know who's right, but I'm going to choose to believe the people who say I can learn something new are right, and I'm going to just pour myself into that. And so I start reading voraciously about the brain and about how it works. Because for me, if I can picture how it works, yeah. like I can sort of grab a hold of it. Uh -huh. And so I just started learning about the brain, the brain, the brain. And it allowed me to start climbing out of, I won't say I was depressed, I've seen depressed and this wasn't yeah. it, but it was like a dark place. Yeah. And so I started- And even a fixed mindset is a dark place in, in some ways, you know? It's like if you believe that you can't change where you are, that's a pretty tough place. For sure. Yeah. So, and that's exactly how I felt. I thought, yeah, I'm not gonna be able to get out of that. And that gave me the first glimmer of hope. Then teaching really began to reinforce mm -hmm. it. And it just showed me there might be a path here where I can just practice and practice and practice. And I happen to be at the school now where I can help students with their films, I can borrow the camera, so I'm in like this perfect environment. Mm. And then um, I end up meeting these two very successful entrepreneurs. 
And they were a little bit older than me and way, way farther ahead in their business journey. And I was getting really frustrated because the business of film is that you have to try and appease people that have the finances, but they may not be good at the art. And now I'd spent all this time getting good at the art. And they said, look, you're coming to the world with your handout. And if you want to control the art, you have to control the resources. Mm. So I said, come with us and get rich. We're founding this new technology company. 18 months from now, kid, you could be a multimillionaire. And I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> this is the most seductive so, pitch ever. Yeah, I'm like, all right, this is too good to I'm be true. I'm sleeping on a mattress with it. <laughs> Everybody's like, dude, there's no way. These guys are totally BSing you. And I was like, but what do I have to lose exactly? Like, let's say I go and it's a total sham. They're paying me a paycheck. The second the checks bounce, I can go get another job. So it just seems self-evident to me that it was worth the risk. So I joined them and they say, look, we're hiring you as a copywriter, but we're always looking for partners. We'll settle, settle for employees, but we're looking for partners. So you can have any role you want in this company. You just have to become the right person for the job. So you're gonna have to get the skills. We're not just gonna give it to you. And they said that to dozens of people. And one by one, all those people fell by the wayside. And I just kept at it and just kept working and didn't have any sense of like shame or um, something was beneath me. So I would just do everything, everything, everything. And I just slowly started climbing up. And probably about six and a half years later, I was the chief marketing officer in the company. Wow. They had given me 10% equity just for sweat. I never invested a dime in the company. And about that point though, I'm burning out. I'm just working around the clock and I'm just yeah. chasing money. I'm just trying to get rich. Like every day I'm saying, you're doing this to get rich, to get rich, to get rich. And so there was no why? bigger why, yeah, yeah. right? And so as cheesy as it sounds, all of a sudden I really am, I mean it took six and a half years, but on paper, I'm worth probably about $2 million. Okay, paper. On paper, very different than real money. Let's uh -huh. be very clear about uh -huh. that. Even though real money's made of paper, this is a different kind of paper. Very different. <laughs> And I... This is the equity paper. Yes. I go to my wife and I said, look, I know I promised you that I would make you rich, but I, I am so miserable that I'm gonna have to take us backwards. I'm not giving up, but I need to do something every day that I love. I need to feel alive again. That was my phrase. I need to feel alive again. And the thing that makes me feel alive, which we were just talking about before the camera started yeah. rolling, is writing. Yeah. So I was like, I need to go back to writing. We were gonna move to a small town in Greece, because she's Greek. Oh, and I was gonna really, because I can speak Greek-ish, and I was like really gonna learn Greek, and I was gonna write screenplays, and just live on next to nothing. And so I go in, and I'm full of shame. It becomes a cool part of my story because of how it works out, but at the moment, I was really ashamed of myself, because I was quitting. Yeah. And I said, guys, look, at that point, like we were like brothers. I mean, we've been working together a long time. And I said, I just cannot do this anymore. I am so profoundly unhappy. Here's your equity back. If I don't cross the finish line, I don't want to get anything for wow. this. I'm leaving you guys alone. I feel terrible about it. And I'm gonna go right. And they were stunned and they say what become sort of famous words in my life. We could do this without you, but we don't want to. And that let me reconnect to something other than the money and so I'd already done the hard thing, which was quit and shame myself. And so I said, all right, if we're gonna keep working together, this is what it would have to look like. It would have to be something based on passion. It would have to be something <coughs> where we're bringing value to people's lives, we're not just selling something. Mm -hmm. It's gotta be something where I can let my real personality come through. And that's what I kept saying. I want my real personality. I wanna be who I really am all day, every day. Now, of course, we'd say be authentic. Yeah. But back then, people weren't using that word. So I was just like, yeah. Well, it was a little later than that. But I was like, I just need to be myself. I need to be yeah. myself. 
And so for three very different reasons, they said they felt the same, but for three very different reasons, we end up founding Quest Nutrition. And for me, I grew up in a morbidly obese family and I wanted to save my mom and my sister. And I just thought the one thing I know is the struggle is guaranteed, the success is not. So you better love the path. So I thankfully, I chased money for so long that I realized you could give me all the money in the world right now and if you asked me to keep doing this, I wouldn't. So I know that money's not gonna solve my problems. Money solves money problems, and yeah. money's actually more powerful than people think, yeah. but it doesn't touch how you feel about yourself, yeah, and it doesn't impact your joy or your fulfillment. So we come into it just like hungry to do things in a way that would fulfill us every day, that we would love, be on fire for, passionate, fight through everything. And I knew when it got hard, I was gonna need someone or something that I loved to fight for. And that just became my mom and my sister, my mom and my sister, my mom and my sister. And so when it got hard, and of course it did, it did. Everything I had that, hard. and it, it just was crazy. It was, we were doing things for the right reasons. We were fed up of chasing money. We wanted to create something beautiful in the world. We wanted to add value. We, we before it was like a thing, we were saying we no longer prioritize money. This is gonna be about doing the right thing and just adding extreme value to people's lives. And so we were doing that right as this former filmmaker is like fed up and wants to do things on a daily basis. So man, I wanted to be shooting. I wanted to be surrounded by cameras and mm -hmm. artists. So we start doing all the content creation in-house and build a studio inside of a protein bar company. And people are like, what are you doing? But it was like, I, I wanted to be doing that. Yeah. And my partners and I had agreed, we may make very unconventional business choices, but it will all be in the name of loving what we do. So cool, we're gonna shoot our own commercials, do our, all of our own packaging, design everything ourselves. And so I finally got to be surrounded by artists and just doing things that I love, which as you know, makes it a lot easier to oh. work crazy hours. Yeah. And, and so we just, at the right time, had the right message, right as social media was going crazy, right as the world was realizing, it was like, super size me is happening yeah. and everyone realizes, yeah, I need to eat better. And so <laughs> all of this stuff just came together. And the, the penultimate like success, the victory lap looks like what? You guys grow the company, decide to sell it? Is this you selling out of your, from your partnership? Is it you sell, all three of you go together and you say, cool, I'm out? Because having a business that spins off cash is different because you're still invested in a business mm -hmm. that spins off cash. So what, like close the loop for us. What, you, you build a great business and. Yeah. Well, so building the business is a podcast unto itself. It yeah. was so extraordinarily transformative largely because businesses go through a phase, phases, and in the beginning you need hustlers. You need people that are just ride or die. They're yeah. gonna be there at 2 a.m. on a Saturday yeah. night yeah. and just in it. And so because we were doing manufacturing, we were in the inner cities. We were just in bad neighborhoods. We were Compton or Compton adjacent for years. Okay. And we put the word out on the street that we would hire people even if they had felony convictions. Okay. So we had former gang members and ex-drug dealers and ex-felons. I mean, it was just like this, ragtag group of people, but we were giving them hope for a world that didn't involve drugs and gangs and that they could learn anything, going back to yeah. what I said earlier, like I had transformed my life and taken myself from you know laying on my floor, feeling like I can't do anything with my life because I don't have talent as a filmmaker, to realizing I could build businesses, to having this vision to build this extraordinary food company and it was working and it was going. And so I said to every one of the employees, making the protein bars is your tuition but we have Quest University. So if there's anything else you wanna learn, 
I'll teach you everything that I know. And so it became this extraordinary relationship with these people who wanted to do something amazing with their lives, going through these extraordinary transformations as they were learning, because we were opening and This is inside, this is sort of like learning and development inside Inside Quest. the company, yeah. Okay. And it was, it was just amazing, and, and it would take so long to tell those stories, <laughs> yeah. but like, it, it, just know that it changed me as a human and, and is what made me ultimately do impact theory. So we build the company up, everything is working, we're being true to what we said, we're making the right decisions even when it's hard. Like it was just awesome, man. It was awesome to be inside of it and the world was just rewarding us. And so the company was growing hand over fist and it was crazy long hours and it was brutal work and there was a yeah. time where I was waking up with my hands cramping closed because making protein bars is, especially when you're starting off and you've got sort of the rickety equipment, yeah. it, it's, it's a very physically demanding thing. Wow. And I would always take the hardest job because I was, of the three partners, I was the first one to go to Quest full time. And the other ones, because we didn't just like wrap the company, it took us like a good year to begin to separate from the awareness technologies. So I leave first, I'm there for about a year on my own, so I would take the hardest job on the line to show the guys, not only will I do the hardest job, but I'm gonna do it with a smile, I'm gonna be lifting you guys up, I'm yeah. gonna be getting you excited, I'm gonna leave from the front. Okay. And like despite all of that, it was just a joy. And the company grows fast and it, about the five year mark, we were valued at over a billion dollars. It was bananas. And we knew that, look, at any time a company like this, you're one like peanut allergy related death away from just collapse. Yeah. So <laughs> we wanted uh, basically a, a founder liquidity event. We didn't want to exit the company, but we wanted a founder liquidity event. So we took a very small um, investment Okay. But at over a billion dollars, the numbers are just ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So it, it just completely changed our lives financially. And at that point, as we continued to go, it was like, we've now got the finances where we can do whatever we want. We didn't share a vision for how to grow the company anymore. So it was like, rather than let that relationship begin to deteriorate, we just said, well, we don't, we're in a very fortunate position. We no longer have to agree. Mm -hmm. So I spun the studio out that we'd built into impact theory and that's where we are now. So I still have massive ownership in the company. Sure. I'm just not involved day to day at all. Isn't that a fascinating, like you mentioned different phases of a business mm. and there's a, what I find, you know, having been through this with a creative live is it's interesting to see where my skill set was really needed and where it wasn't and when I was present and when I wasn't and how I've been so in it for the last several years and you, you just look around the landscape and it's sort of like, uh, people in your life they come and go at different times and it's it's fascinating I don't know if you know folks at home have ever built a business if you have you probably understand this it's really only you know looking backwards that you can connect the dots mm -hmm. and it's just that it's a brilliant little piece of wisdom there so I think it's a there's a lot of things I would like to unpack um, I want to put a pin in a few things first so in your in your uh, lifeline we are now about to start impact theory but let's go back and, and check out a couple of things that you learned along the way. So this idea of leading from the front, being mm. willing to do whatever it takes, uh, is that a thing that you felt like you learned? Go back to neuroplasticity, is that because you, it's just an effective way to be in the world and you could be an inspiring boss and still get the work done? Or was that a, you know, something that you learned in your childhood? Was it taught? There's a there's a we're in downtown Los Angeles and there's a film premiere outside. You know I know crazy? it feels like they're screaming for us. I know it sounds that like that would it. be amazing. <laughs> what is so surreal? What's my that? wife is at that premiere. No, totally randomly. And I was like, oh, I'm going to the Ace Hotel, and she's like, What? She's like, I'm going to the Ace Hotel. And I was like, How is that possible? 
So very randomly, my wife and I have ended up at the same place tonight. Um, Sounds like she's having a lot of yeah, fun. Yeah, right? She's really enjoying herself. So where did I learn that? Honestly, most of what I've learned has come from film. So I, you know, you watch and end up worshiping these characters and you see what they do and what they go through and what you admire about them. And, you know, being obsessed with somebody like Bruce Lee growing up and, you know, reading the, G, the Tao of Jeet Kune Do when I'm like 14 or 15, I'm just like so impressionable. Um, and just beginning to see what like real human potential expressed looks like. And then seeing people who put themselves at risk, that go out front, that aren't fighting from the back and sending other people into danger, like they take the lead. Yeah. And then when they win, like, and they do it, and they put themselves at risk, and then Alexander the Great, like learning about him and how he used to like be at the front, and like you couldn't get a spear out of the guy's hand. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you literally control the entire known world, <laughs> and yet you're at the front. And just trusting like how much that resonated. Yeah. And being like, you hear those stories and the hair on the back of your neck stands up and you get the chills and you're just like, whoa. So, <laughs> you know, between movies and just stories and people that I had admired in real life, it was like, yeah, I wanna be like that. And then also having enough awareness about, and this is one thing I will say, I've studied psychology a lot. Okay. And so understanding what excites people, what draws them, what makes a good leader, um, I knew that if I was going to get this particular ragtag band of people together, I could not be who they think of as like the boss, man, boss right? man yeah. yeah, the guy that just sits in his office and tells people what to do. I had to be out there, I had to outwork everybody, I had to be better than everybody. Like they had to see that listening to me was the right answer time and time and time again. They had to see that I would never ask them to do something that I wouldn't do myself. They had to see that I would take the hardest job, they had to see that I would push past fatigue, they had to see that I would do it all and try to uplift them at the same time. And Man, that, like, you want to talk life lesson? If you do that for people, if you outwork them, you're right more than you're wrong as much as I wish that wasn't important. You actually have to be effective. Yeah, you have to be good. Yeah. And then you, like, show them, I want you to win, and I'm going to set you up to succeed. People will follow you anywhere. Wow. I didn't even have to ask any questions. You said the thing, like, <laughs> what, what's, and I was going to say, the question was, and then said, so what's the outcome of something like that? Mm -hmm. And you just said it all. All right, so... We're gonna go back to the beginning, which is between, uh, not the beginning beginning, but the beginning of Quest. You knew in your heart that you were not satisfied with the tech company. That it, there's something in there I find having, you know, talked with 150 or 200 people like this, mm -hmm. that there's something that it's, it's a very hard truth and to just call it self-awareness, I find it doesn't do anybody any good because when you say self-awareness, oh, just be more self-aware. It's, you know, there's a, it's, uh, I think it's a tautology where you reference mm -hmm. the thing that you don't know you have or whatever. So again, weird, but how did you figure that out? How did you, what, what, was, what was actually happening? Were you like physically sick, emotionally sick? And you know, most people that I know, they don't listen to those signals. Mm -hmm. What made you listen? So there's one of my favorite quotes. They say, a fool never learns, a smart man learns from his mistakes, and a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. And unfortunately, I'd been a fool so many times in my life that I really let pain drag out. And one of my greatest benefits and one of the things that oftentimes will get me in trouble is I haven't, an, immeasurable tolerance for emotional pain. And so 
if I was really wise, I would not have needed to learn that money can't buy happiness, right? Because I'd heard it a thousand times. Right, we're saying it here. Yeah. In case you're not sure. So. Just look at us. Do we look good? No. Yeah, so <laughs> we're, it's. We're all dressed in black. We got bags <laughs> under it. No, you look great. I'm just kidding. Um, so, yeah, I, I really had to learn that one the hard way. And yeah. then, so it was physical pain. Mm-hmm. I did not feel good. I was just just in, in duress, like yeah. you, and actually here, here's a better way of explaining it. Everything just seemed lame. Like going into work, it was like a dark cloud hanging over, it just made me feel uneasy. And it was like, I didn't want to go back. On Sunday nights, it was like, oh man, the weekend's over. Like this is such a bummer. Like even Friday night, you're like, I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and there's not gonna be a day insulating me between you know going back to work. And then you're at work and you're just like, fuck, I'm miserable. And people are irritating me and I'd go home and I'd be short with my wife. And my wife is saying like, yo, what's happening to you? Like you're not, she was like, you used to be playful. You're not playful anymore. And I'm like, yeah, man, wow, you're right. I used to be playful, and I, but I don't feel that. Like I don't have any sense of like wanting to be silly or anything. And it just all started to seem boring and dull and like drudgery and. Isn't, isn't it weird? When you're thinking of those thoughts about the world, that's just. That's a mirror. It's such a clear, clear reflection of what's happening to you and the choices and what's going on in your mindset. No question. So true. And then I think the real thing was, <coughs> one, my wife is trying to slap me awake during this whole thing and is like, you're changing the feeling that our marriage has. You're clearly not happy. And then you'll do something where it lights you on fire for a minute and you're like, whoa, I want to feel like this all the time like this weekend. So I was working on the comic book screenplay and that, that was like it, man, my whole weekend. I had the curtains closed, the lights off, headphones on, I'm listening to the sounds of nature, so I'm just in the screenplay. And I'm, I'm on fire creatively in a way that's hard to explain. And so immediately, as Monday's approaching, I, I just had to check my schedule. I wanna eliminate anything, isn't this? Like I'm gonna cut it, I'm gonna slash. And it's, so at that time, I had that feeling of, Everything in my life pulls me away from this feeling. Everything. Wow. And they're all choices I've made. And so you start thinking, I know I want to feel this way. I've been feeling this way worse and worse and worse for years now. Ouch. People that I love and trust are like, yo, you're not fun anymore. <coughs> like, what is going yeah. on? Yeah. So, and you just go, play this out. Flash forward 10 more years. You keep feeling like this, but you get a billion dollars. Was it worth it? And I was like, no, if I have a billion dollars and I feel like this, like all I'm gonna wanna do with a billion dollars is stop doing what I'm doing now. And sleep on it. (laughs) Yeah, so it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So you're telling me that the billion dollars simply buys you out of what you're doing to work to get the billion dollars. Okay, we'll run the math. What's the probability of the billion dollars? Well, given how hard I've been working and how hard this business is to build, I'm gonna give it, I don't know, a 20% chance? So. The odds are not in my favor, so this does not seem like a wise experiment to play out. So given that I can immediately feel joy, and that's incredible, and pursue something that brings me fulfillment, and that sounds wonderful, and reignite my marriage, and just like everything, and that would be guaranteed, because it's things I can control, I'm just gonna go do that. And then my mantra became, I still wanna get rich, but I'm only gonna pursue wealth through a vehicle that I love the day-to-day actions of. The process. Yeah, the process, exactly. So that became like my obsession. I'm still gonna get rich, but I'm gonna do it doing something that I love that brings value to the world. Wow. All right, we put a pin in a few things. We went backwards, now we're gonna go forwards back to 
I, I think I can understand the change that you are making now from Quest Nutrition to Impact Theory because we just played through that scenario. Was doing it the second time easier because you were smarter? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. The, the second time it wasn't even like, it almost wasn't a transition, so yeah, I- Yeah, because you, you're extracting the studio that you'd already made from within. That, yeah. so we had the staff for sure, but um, it was, I wrapped up Quest on a Tuesday and Impact Theory started on a Wednesday. So it was when you're actually driven by a why, like, and this is maybe even a more powerful story about that. So um, I had the, a very good fortune of the way that I came to, to real wealth was instantaneous. Now I'd been building it for years, sure. been building it for almost the 15 trend, years. The transaction. Back. But literally it was refresh, refresh, refresh on the bank account app, and then boom, all of a sudden, it's a lot of commas and zeros. And so in that moment, you realize, oh, I don't feel any differently about myself. I now have purchasing power, and that is fascinating, and is, is amazing, yep. but it doesn't change how you think about yourself. And so that just became instantly clear. And my wife was like, oh my God, we're so rich. What are we gonna do today? And I was like, we're gonna go to work. And she was like, what do you mean we're gonna go to work? And I said, this isn't about the money. I'm not doing this for the money. Like that, every time that I've said that over the last, whatever, five or six years, has been true. I'll never go back to that. I'll never be chasing money again. So I believe in what we're doing. I believe in the people that we've brought together to mm. do this and I'm gonna show up and lead. And so if you went and asked people at Quest, what day did the money hit? They'd be like, I have no idea. So we just rolled up and, and got back to it. And that is, I think, one of the things that I'm most proud of. And it's certainly things that's one most revealing about my personality. So in terms of like the transition, I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah. And while the sort of end result of ending metabolic disease, which is what I was doing at Quest, or pulling people out of the matrix by giving them an empowering mindset, which is what I'm doing at Impact Theory, they are definitely different outcomes. But for me, I've always told people, there's two ways to get to the mind. You can go direct to the mind or you can go through the body. But at the end of the day, I was always looking for that emotional moment of awakening where someone realizes that they can control their life. So it, it was just sort of a, a pivot. And yeah, I'll never live in that place again where I'm like, oh, I'm unhappy and I've been unhappy for a long time. It's like, you can see it coming. Now because I don't have to worry about finances, it's like, it just wouldn't make any sense. What's the most common question that you get about your transition from others? Like um, I, I could ask all the questions in the world. The, but the, one, the one that people are, I think, always most curious about is like, oh man, you lost your baby, like, are you okay? Like, is it weird not showing up there anymore? And I was like, wow, I don't think of the world like that. So that was one thing. And I think that I, I really do understand that. And I think mm -hmm. that was a lot harder for my wife yeah. to go, cause she went from housewife, never thinking she was going to be an entrepreneur to ending up being a part of the founding team of what becomes a billion dollar company and watching her become this powerful. She is a much better natural entrepreneur than I am. Like she actually has instincts even before they were trained. And so watching her blossom was really extraordinary. And so for her, it took a, it took a hot minute for her to like reorient, okay, we're doing something new now. Um, whereas for me, it was like, it was every step I've taken, even, even the, from teaching and then the technology company, which was really about controlling resources to starting the studio, even though it was to make commercials and Instagram content, um, everything has been a step closer to running a movie studio. So it was, it, it, I often feel like, because I remember at Quest, people are like, oh man, if you, you know, you've given up on your film dream. And I was like, whoa, I don't think of it like that. Like, 
I'm shooting now more than I've ever shot in my life. Yeah. I'm just not the director anymore, I'm the executive producer. Um, so that, that was pretty easy for me. Interesting. But that's what I get asked the most. Yeah, interesting. All right, so let's talk about Impact Theory. I've had the good fortune of being on the show. If you're not, maybe we can uh, link to that in the show notes or something. Um, it was certainly fun to be on. Uh, I think in that show, you also acknowledge the longstanding uh, sort of internet relationship that you and I have had. And it was fun to see, to watch you go from the nutrition bar guy, because we had lots of mutual friends, to creating content again. And I, I saw you starting to do it in Quest. I was like, oh, that's cool. They got the, they're like, they're inviting people in to teach their employees and in the process mm-hmm. they're, and then it was a full on, full on shift. Um, you seem like a very natural content creator. You like to share and tell stories and this is the film school part coming out in you. But what, like, being able or willing to create content and then creating a business around creating content mm-hmm. are sometimes different things. So do you think of Impact Theory as a, a pet project that is independent of your wealth and you're just creating content? Or do you look at Impact Theory as a business that you're growing with merchandise and, uh, and you know what's the aspiration of Impact Theory? Yeah, the aspiration of Impact Theory is to build the next Disney. and nothing short of that. And I think that it will take multiple generations. It will take 70 plus years. And I know that you can't prognosticate, especially not in media, something that far out. Um, But it it just gives me something. Dang, nice vocabulary word there, yeah. Uh, It gives me something to aim at. And I think that's important. So, you know, we'll always be looking for how we shift. And we're already obviously doing it dramatically different than they do, being heavily socially focused. Um, but that, that's the goal. And why Disney? Because my motivation truly is to, um, so to answer this question, I started big brothering when I was 18 for a kid in the inner city and grew up in South Central Los Angeles, about as hard as you can grow up. And um, I was supposed to be tutoring him for eight weeks and it turned into eight and a half years. And it becomes this utterly transformative relationship in my life. and. The problem is I'm too young and stupid to really help him. So all I could ever really do for him was show him that there's a beautiful part of the world. Like not everywhere looks like your backyard looks. And so I would take him to movies in Beverly Hills and you know just try to show him like there's another part of the world because at the time, even though I was poor, movies cost the same thing everywhere. So I thought, well, let's at least go to a nice neighborhood. And so we would do that and I would drive him around to show him big houses and be like, look, man, because I was dreaming that dream. And I was like, you know, there's there's just another world, like there's another way to be. But I just couldn't end up helping him and and he was being abused by his adoptive parent, which I didn't know at the time, but I ended up becoming his guardian for a while and I helped him into, yeah, I mean, that's like a whole thing. So when I say that it it really transformed my life and had a big impact on me, flash forward 15 years later and now I have 3,000 employees, about 1,000 of them grew up hard like Rashawn did. And I'm like, okay, now I understand mindset. And so I know the difference between Rashawn and I was not that I was smarter than Rashawn, he was so smart. It was that nobody had ever told him, hey, the things you want, like for instance, he once told me he wanted to be a basketball player. I'm like, rad, how much are you practicing? Zero. I'm like, well then we have a fundamental problem. Because if you want to be a basketball player, you're gonna have to start practicing right now. And- Basketball players play basketball. 
Yeah. Exactly, right? And that was, hey, he was missing that little piece. And so as I developed my own mindset and then saw it play out in business and then saw all these employees and saw how much they reflected Rashawn, and I was just like, okay, there, there is a way, but how do you do this at scale? So we all have our particular interests minus scale. So some people, they'll say things like, man, if I touch one life, that's enough for me. You will never hear me say that because I'd be lying. I want to touch as many lives as humanly possible, measured in the millions, ideally the billions, that would be amazing. But the only way to do that is to influence where people grow up, who their parents are, or how their friends think. I can't touch the first two, right? Because the way that people build their belief system, and I believe belief system yeah. creates your perspective, your perspective is all that matters. Sure. So if you have a perspective that says the world's against me, I can't succeed, then you won't succeed. It is terrifyingly that true. and. I thought, but the third one, the way that your friends think, yeah. I actually can influence that because I can influence the cultural subconscious through media. Now, if I was also influencing music, I'd be a lot happier because I think that drives a lot of what we perceive as cool and yeah. cool drives a lot of what we mimic. What we mimic is what we become. So I do wish that I was in on that. It's not my gift and it's not what I've pursued. But film also has a massive impact on that. And so that is you know, the thing that we want to do. So when I asked, okay, has, has this been proven out or is this a pipe dream? Has a movie studio ever really influenced culture? And Disney has influenced culture by telling only one kind of story from a thousand different angles over and over and over to the point where the brand itself means something. Yeah. So if I say I'm gonna go see a Paramount movie or a Warner Brothers movie, you don't know anything about it. <clears throat> right. But if I say I'm gonna see a Disney movie, you already know something. Yep. So I thought this has, and there are, this has been done. And there are credible historians who will tell you that Disney helped America get out of the Great Depression. Yeah, I've heard that. It's crazy. That's, yeah, that's a thesis of, I think, it, yeah, it's, there's like, that's written on in creativity and, even, was it Creativity Inc., I think they might have, in the Pixar referenced that maybe even, I don't know. Yeah, they talk about it a lot with Disney, yeah. and so I just thought, okay, this, it's real enough to be a guiding light, yeah. and let's see how far we can take it. And we now live in this extraordinary time where can talk direct into a camera, tell people how to think, and it will actually change their life. Like, yeah. it's nuts, man. Yeah. It's like, it's really crazy, and I can only true. imagine the number of people that have come up to you and been like, Chase, thank you so much, you have no idea how much you've impacted my life, it's bonkers. Right? Yeah, it's, and it's so inspiring to be able to hear from them. They're like, oh man, you inspire me. I'm like, you have no idea. You just made my day. You know, so I stopped, someone, someone stopped me on the sidewalk out in front of the Ace today. Yes. Amazing. You're like, gosh, what, what time is it? What kind of world is it where this is happening? And we're just getting started too, I feel like. So I, I get it. I get it. What's the, um, Disney is a great, like, it's, it's a great marker out there. Mm -hmm in front of you. Is it film? Because do you seek to make films? You called it a studio. Mm -hmm. Is that the model that you, I'm curious about the business model. That was the second part of the two part question that I asked, which was, it was a long one and it was a while ago. But what's the, like, how do you think about your business model at Impact Theory? Because I observe it from the outside and it's like they're clearly investing. Is it through merch sales? Is it through, like, and, and do you have, like, what's the vision? Because right now there's a, now there's a 26-year-old woman sitting in her bedroom making notes, listening to what it is we're saying right now. And she's like, I want to do this. Or her version of this. You want this. me to give her a three-minute encapsulation of exactly how to do it? Yeah. Okay. So I'm not one of those guys that I have some secret sauce. I will tell people exactly what I'm doing. Um, so I should be doing courses, but I'm not yet. I want to... 
the only way that I could do a course is if I really felt like this is so tremendously valuable that I can get up and sell. So I don't like selling. Yep. I like to give things that people want anyway that they're gonna buy from somebody else, if not from me, make that from them, and then they go ham on it. So right now, we're essentially, advertising is where we make the bulk of our revenue. Okay. I do speaking engagements, which pays incredibly well. Um, we do have a thriving merchandise business and we are now entering the comic business. Now, there's not a lot of money to be made in comics. Make hundreds. To my dismay. <laughs> exactly. Um, but it is a traditional feeder into film and television, so that ultimately is our goal with that. Got it. Um, but brand relations, that's huge. One of the reasons that I wanted to make sure that our brand was always empowering, always uplifting, um, always real, always true, was that I knew that would attract the right brands, that they would want to advertise with us, and that we'd actually be able to deliver value to them. Yeah. So we, we just have extraordinary brand relations that, it, I mean, generate millions and millions and millions of dollars. So it's crazy, so for the woman at home that is thinking that she really wants to do this, it is very real. And I will tell her right now, there's always room for the best. And when I came into this, I was told by very respectable people, people that I respect tremendously, that I shouldn't do it, that I was wasting my time, that basically had been played out, that I was too late, there were so many people so far ahead of me. And I said, you know, that sounds really familiar to when I was trying to get into film school, it sounds really familiar to when we got into the protein bar business and everybody said, look guys, this is a declining industry, there's 1,600 protein bars on the market. It's just never gonna work. And my mantra has become, there's always room for the best. So I just had to get better than everybody else. Yeah. And that was it. And so she just has to get better. Like she's gotta create content that people want that actually change lives. And so I'll, I'll tell you a story that tells me that I'm on the right track, walking down a hallway in Vegas. And I can picture the kid who's like 25, graduated, had his first jobs, beginning to hate it, wants to make a shift. And that person resonates with me. Yeah. This was a 51 year old man, grabs me by the arm, and before he can start talking, he starts crying. And he's like, Tom, you don't understand. I was losing my business, going through a divorce, and you're the only thing that got me through. And I was like, whoa, whoa man. Yeah. Like, that is so intense. Like, if I let myself think about it now, I would get emotional. Like, yeah. it's one of those where you're just like, you forget. Like, it's easy for you and I to forget that it's not just the four of us, yeah. right? Yeah. That Somewhere in the future, this is hitting somebody and really affecting their life. At the right time, at the right place, yeah. at the right message. A yeah. thousand percent. So it's like, if you're willing to take that moment of inspiration, like, oh my God, if Tom can do it, I can do it. You can, but you're gonna have to go get good. So figure out what, what is your brand? What do you stand for? What are you trying to do? What's your why? How are you going to do it? What do you want to be the best in the world at? And what kind of energy and effort are you putting into being extraordinary at that? Who's gonna wanna watch it? And to what end? What are they gonna do with that information? What advertisers are gonna be like, yo, I need to be on that show. Like, I want my stuff there. Can you get behind it from an authentic place so that when you do the ad, yeah. that you're like, you need to go see these people because I've used them, they've impacted me, or yeah. I know that they're gonna change you. So go after it, use it. That becomes really extraordinary. And then creating merchandise, understanding that, understanding margin, understanding how many dollars in revenue you should expect for every employee that you bring in so that you can actually make it profitable. I mean, you really have to look at all this stuff. And I mean, we could do like a micro course on like how to really break that stuff down, but like there really is a way to break it down. Yeah. 
This, if you're creating a podcast today, you're creating a cable channel back in like 1986. So it's not like it's never been done before, but it's still early. Yeah. And so there's so much opportunity, but you have to think of it like that. You've got to think about what are my revenue streams. You've got to think about how much does the show cost? Can I make enough revenue to cover that? How long can I do it for free and invest and get people to come on? So it's, but we very much think of it like a business. Ad revenue model right now is our primary driver. But like I said, we have three or four revenue streams right now. Wow, I think that how, how, how important to you was, well, given that you had some wealth saved up, uh, I'm guessing that was helpful but not required because you'd bootstrap stuff before sure. and we're living in an era where this camera that is right here, you know, costs $1,500 instead of 15,000 and that recorder over there is 400 instead of 40,000. So we're living in a world where yeah. things are, are more affordable and more accessible. But did you, like, I guess I'm gonna step back one more, one more layer. When 26 year old woman sitting in her uh, den right now or her at her desk uh, in her house or in her apartment and she's making notes, is there, what, what I find is there's this gap between like thinking about something so much and actually taking the first mm -hmm. step. I'm just trying to make the case that the equipment and the gear is not the step, the, the, the information is out there, so you just gave your blueprint on how to do it. What's keeping most people, in your exp experience, what's keeping most people from doing the thing? That is very easy to answer. They don't want it badly enough. So people don't understand that you can cultivate want. And so there's this like weird stigma in our culture about like real intense desire. And people think that love or passion is something that's hiding inside of you and it's an archeological dig to uncover. And so people hear that, they turn inward, they find nothing and they think, what's wrong with me? I'm broken, everybody else has a passion. Look at Tom, like he went from, you know, writing to technology to quest to now impact theory. Like he just, he has all these passions. I wasn't born like that, no. It's you're going to decide to pursue something and you're gonna pursue something that quite frankly at the beginning is just an area of interest. It's a flicker. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Like the first time my dad brought a camcorder home from work, it wasn't like, I'm gonna be a filmmaker. It was like, well, it's kind of weird and interesting. And oh, you put a like big cassette tape, remember VHS tapes? And like, that's kind of interesting. And oh, look, like I'm filming my friends being goofy. That's kind of fun. And then it's like, huh. wait a second, I can actually cut and I can show this and then that. And then, you know, if I put the camera over here, I know people are gonna laugh. I don't know why I know they're gonna laugh, but they're gonna laugh. And then that like growing like, huh, the more I engage with this, the more this interest is turning into a fascination. Then you get fascinated to a point where you're like, I just wanna do this all the time, I'm having so much fun, it makes me feel alive, that you begin to want to gain mastery, you wanna get good at it. When a fascination begins to be something that you actually wanna gain mastery and you're willing to fight past the boredom, yeah. that's when something becomes a passion. Now, when you have a passion, then all of a sudden you really want it. You want to make it come true. But people just don't know how to walk the steps of that process and they don't realize that at some point you just decided. At one point I just decided I'm a filmmaker and I just started saying it out loud, I'm a filmmaker. Yeah. And then I decided, oh, I'm an entrepreneur and oh, I'm gonna end metabolic disease and I went after these things. And in the beginning everybody thought I sounded stupid and you know, I lost credibility yeah. when I said it. Like right now today, I promise you, when I say I'm gonna build the next Disney, I lose credibility, I don't gain it. But I know 15 years from now, when they play this back, 
and they say, whoa, he's actually marching yeah. down the road. He's, he's doing making some every, progress. Right. <laughs> he's doing everything he said he would do, and yeah. he's making progress. It's like, so you have to have the vision, you have to want it, but people really don't know how to decide I'm gonna pursue this area of interest and I'm going to turn my want into a crushing need. And the process is like building a fire. And once you understand that, that it's okay for it to not be easy, it's okay for it to take energy. And I tell people wanting isn't just building a fire. Turning a want into a need is like trying to build a bonfire with wet logs. Everything about it is hard. It just seems harder than it needs to be. The world's fighting against you. People tell you that you're stupid. It's you're not windy. very good at it. It's windy. <laughs> like, just everything is working against you. You feel lazy. You, oh, you're just like, I just want to sit and chill. <laughs> Around like, the fire. <laughs> yeah, like, or I've got kids and like, I don't have the time for this and I'm broke. I'm living paycheck to paycheck. So there are a thousand very valid reasons to not want something that badly. But until you want it that badly, you'll never pursue it. Spoken. Spoken. All right. We're putting a pause in your entrepreneurial journey. We're going to go into your psychological journey. You said you've studied psychology a lot. Yeah. Uh, we talked a lot about sort of the philosophy. Um, when I was on your show, we talked about sort of the philosophy of transformation and, and personal health and wellness, what that, how that internal motivation plays out. Um, you talked about psychology. We've mentioned mindset. To me, mindset's everything. I want to start to connect the plasticity stuff that you mentioned earlier, but that we really didn't cover, and I want to talk about it now. So one of the gaps that I see when we go back to the, the woman in her, <clears throat> in her apartment trying to get from here to there is mindset. So we touched on it a little bit, but now connect the neuroplasticity, what's required to change your mind, with actually putting the work in and seeing those changes. The floor is yours. Thank you, man. Well, first I have to say, I know a good interview when I see one. Well played, my friend. Uh, this is a beautiful pathway. So neuroplasticity becomes important because people are going to identify as this woman is when she goes out to be the best. She's gonna realize I'm not the best and I'm so far from the best, I'm clumsy. Um, let's say that she's really trying to you know, be in front of the camera. I'm, I'm anxious in front of the camera. I can't find my words. I'm not good at speaking in public. Um, None of this feels natural to me, but I'm gonna need to get good at it in order to win. And what people always tell me though is to pursue my strengths, but I don't really feel like I have any strengths. Certainly not in the area where I wanna go. And so what I want people to understand, what I want them to burn into their psyche, what I want my story to be an exemplar of, humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. The reason that we are the apex predator is not because we have fantastic claws or strength or speed, and it's because we adapt better than other people. And Darwin is often misquoted as saying, it's the strongest of the species that survive. He actually didn't say that. What he said was, it's neither the strongest of the species nor the most intelligent that survive, but rather the most adaptive to change. So humans are insanely good at adapting to their environment. So whether that's you know, being in the Sahara, whether that's being in the Arctic you know, caps, it's humans can learn to thrive anywhere and not just physically but mentally. They can mentally adapt to their environment and learn new skills and pursue new things, learn to value different things. And it's really pretty extraordinary how malleable a human belief system is, yeah. their values, um, the narrative that they tell themselves, and then physiologically, the way that the brain responds to thought is almost a little terrifying. And Norman Doidge wrote a book called The Brain That Heals Itself. 
And in the book, he talked about how just by thinking, you can literally rewire the brain. It's pretty crazy. And if you've ever seen videos of it, it's nuts. Like you can see the dendrites like pull apart and then like they search, it literally looks like wiggling little fingers. (laughs) And then they find the next connection that's now being used more often and then they connect. And then you have what's called myelination where fatty tissue wraps around um, connection points that are used a lot to make sure that the electrical impulses can travel faster so that it actually becomes easier to think thoughts that you think a lot. Which is why when you do something repetitively, it becomes easier. Or if you do something a lot, a lot, you can go into what they call the default mode where I just drove to work and I literally don't even remember it. That's the default network. You've just done it so many times, you don't need to give the cognitive energy to it. It's just gonna happen automatically. And so what you wanna do are get good behaviors, good beliefs, empowering thoughts to be wired efficiently so that the brain will default to them rapidly. So for instance, if you have like, I don't know that you can actually get rid of the negative voice in your head. I certainly still have mine. But what I've found is that you can really wire it to be a habit loop trigger into an empowering thought. And so you go, oh, I'm not good at this yet. And so the, the sense of I'm not good enough actually is the very thing that triggers yet, oh yeah, that's right, I have the identity of a learner. I don't value being good at something, I value the pursuit of greatness, so I'm gonna go pursue that, and oh yeah, because I value that, I actually feel good about myself going after it. I don't feel badly about myself, I don't have any damage to my self-esteem. As I fumble and I'm super awkward and I'm saying things and people are like, ha like none of that hurts my self-esteem because what I value in myself The very thing that I build my self-esteem around is the pursuit. It's the willingness to stare nakedly at my inadequacies, to accept I'm not good at it yet, to remember that I'm the learner, that the humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. So if I apply myself to this, I do it over and over and over. My brain will myelinate. The new connections will be made. This will grow easier over time. And if I push myself and I practice and I fight through boredom and I really go after mastery, then I can become the best. But it all comes down to, am I willing to put in that work? Because most people aren't. And the work, all of that diatribe right there came off of one phrase, which is, I'm not good at this. Right. And if what you're, if I'm going to summarize what you're saying, if that the saying that I'm not good at this can trigger, you can literally train it, train your brain to trigger all of the thoughts that Tom just said that that is actually the mindset that you're trying to wire. And it's by the first 50 times that I'm not good enough comes into your head, you have to then pause and say, no, I need to stop saying that to myself. I'm not good at this yet because I'm a learner. You have to, like, it's literally like walking. It's put the first time, if you've ever had an injury and you broke an ankle, the first couple times you put pressure on that ankle, it's really hard and it hurts. And then you have to say, nope, I'm not, I'm just gonna put the pressure on them, I'm gonna hop. And then over time, it gets better and easier and it gets faster. And then before you know it, you're saying to yourself all the things that you just said after the negative phrase. I think it's fascinating that we can't take that negative phrase out. Maybe there are people, but I don't really know any it seems like, it seems it's, like really... so, it's like sociopaths probably have that. Right, yeah. The ability yeah. to not think that. Good point. We, we have some in our culture right now that are dominating. Um, uh, okay, so do you believe then, well, let me, uh, instead of do you believe, clearly you believe this is possible. What are some things that you do to manifest it besides just tell people that this is how you have to do it? What do you do when you hear that negative self-talk? 
So, well, I think just, what are some like lightweight things that aren't, aren't going to that the first couple times you hear that in your voice, you're like, ah, geez, what do I need to do differently? Well, the first thing is is get really good at having phrases and mantras that you can repeat. So, I think that repetition is the most underutilized superpower that we have, and it sounds so dumb that people don't realize. No, no, no. They're, the what the brain is looking for are things that happen over and over, and it goes, oh, those are the repeated things. I'm going to hardwire those. So. The, the mere act of repetition is exactly what triggers all the things that I just talked about. So doing things like saying, I can learn anything I set my mind to without exception. Like, even though I know that's a lie, like there are clearly limits, it just doesn't do me any good to focus on where the limits are. Like, I'll worry about that if I actually end up running into them. Yeah, yeah. But for wait a minute, I can fly. This is so boring now. Right, yeah. <laughs> so if I get there, yeah, then I'll really worry. Um, so. The phrases that you repeat that are just empowering beliefs, um, I actually ended up writing them down to give to my employees. I wrote down the 25 beliefs that I had to come to internalize, repeat to myself over and over and over to go from the employee with his head down to an entrepreneur that built a billion dollar business. Anybody can do it. You have to meet minimum requirements, but if you're watching this show, you're you, there. you yeah. meet minimum requirements, I assure you. So then it just becomes about putting in the reps and doing the work. Um, so repetition is one thing, but to, to go to a slightly different place, I'll say that um, the really bad news that I have for people is you have to do the hard things because your mind is trying to do the easy things, always, always, always. So the yeah. only way to really get a hold of your mind is to do hard things to show yourself that you're in control. So there are a few really simple ones. So things that you can do every day that are really easy, um, I'll say not eating certain things is hard, but dirt cheap. It literally costs you nothing to not eat something. Um, and I find that what you don't eat is far more powerful than what you do eat. And so saying to yourself, I have bright lines around food, I'm not gonna eat these. And then when you get to the end of the day and you held to it, you, the way that you feel about yourself is very powerful. Go to the gym every day. So not only is it going to have massive physical and psychological benefits, you showed up and you did something that was difficult. You're going to feel good about that. And then one that I've recently been exploring with and has been transformative is cold exposure. Take a cold shower. So I have, I have actual bordering on phobias around cold because so I've dealt with profound anxiety in my life. Okay. And for whatever reason, the physiological symptoms of cold are exactly the same for me as anxiety. So I, from a physiological standpoint, I can't tell the difference. Shivering, cold. The sense yeah. of just being unlike grounded, not being able to catch my breath. It's yeah. like, it's horrid. So if I'm cold and I have to do something that's anxiety provoking, then it's like this double whammy and I really get myself into trouble. So I've had this whole thing in my life about being really paranoid about, okay, if I'm doing something I know is gonna provoke anxiety, like what's that gonna be like? Like if I'm speaking, I have to wear layers of clothes and make sure you're gonna have hot water there, right? So that I can make sure I'm sipping hot water. Like I have to be really cautious about it. And so I'd avoided like all this talk about cold showers and stuff because I'm like, ah, it's like <laughs> you know, my kryptonite. I'm a super yeah. freak about it. Yeah? I'm a super freak. I'll keep going though. So I'll share my bit. I, um, I have Wim Hof on the show. Okay. And you he know changed. his story? Of course, yeah. He so hearing like how he's been able to get a hold of his autonomic nervous system through breathing and cold exposure, it was too much for me not to want to do it. And so David Goggins and his whole thing of do something every day that sucks, put those two together and I'm like, all right, it's the thing I least want to do that would definitely suck, and it could potentially allow me to tap into something pretty deep. So I decided I was gonna do this 30-day cold shower challenge, and 
I got in, and at first, because I have, um, I have a lot of discipline, and if I can tie something to my identity, then I can do it. So the first, like, probably 10 cold showers, I was like, what you got, like, Bring it on. no problem, I'm in it. I would see how far I could push it. Um, I wear a continuous glucose monitor to see how things affect me. And I could take a cold shower for so long that I would get low blood glucose warnings on my machine. So like, I was like, yeah. And then after that sort of wore off, the like, you're a stud of it all, I started really having a hard time. And I would get in the shower and be like, this sense of like, you must get out. Like all of this urgency, get out of this cold water, this is crazy. And then every time I'd be like, you control that. You, there is nothing urgent. You could stand in this water for a very long time and nothing bad will happen to you. And instantly I could calm down and realize I'm in control of it. And if you can find things like that every day, whether it's meditation, which you and I talked a lot yep, about, yep. and learning to get out of that sympathetic nervous system and into the parasympathetic, which I would actually start with meditation, because I think if I hadn't learned to do it in meditation, I might've had a hard time doing it in the shower where there's so much like just stimulus yeah. and you know a little bit of mental chaos. Cold water. <laughs> but when you're, if you've trained yourself to do it through meditation and then you get in the shower and realize how instantaneously you can get a hold of your mind, calm it down. Then when the negative voice crops up, you realize I'm in control of that. I can take that voice wherever I want. I can make that a trigger to say, do, act in any way that I want. So what's empowering? And if you do those simple tricks, you learn to repeat, you meditate, you start taking cold showers, and you practice getting out of the sympathetic yeah. into the you know, rest and digest mode, it's pretty powerful how much control you can gain. Can we talk about the water thing for a second? Yeah, I'm please. a freak about it. I don't know if you know How this. long have you been doing it? Um, I don't know. We've been talking about it for a long time, haven't we? Not, like maybe five years? Oh, wow! Yeah. A long time. Yeah. Um, and it was super early, you know, again, um, I think Ferris, I got him into meditation and Ferris got me into cold exposure. Um, and at first it was cold showers. I had had a lot of experience as a younger person in soccer, went to college on a soccer scholarship, mm -hmm. played Olympic development soccer. and ice baths were getting mm. popular then, but it was really about controlling injury and inflammation. Um, and I didn't enjoy the psychology of it. I just knew that when I had to sit in you know, water up to my waist, it was very unpleasant. And my, when you try to walk after that, when your legs are numb, you're like, what am I doing? <laughs> but so I'd had enough exposure to, knew that I, to know that I could do it. Mm. And then when I started hearing from Tim and others, the psychological benefit the fat burning benefit, there's just a handful of things. I was like, okay, I'm gonna experiment with this. Start off with showers, you know, take a normal shower and then have a one minute, like just as cold as the shower could go. Mm. Okay, cool. What I noticed in that probably, I don't know, say four weeks, like I'm actually kind of looking forward to it and it's a way, I, I wake up, I, I definitely am more awake. It's like a cup of coffee in the morning. So I was drinking less coffee and I generally felt a sense of, I wouldn't call it euphoria, but I definitely felt like 10% more psyched in the morning than I had before. And it was just literally the only thing that was changing was my cold, like cold exposure. Then I uh, was, we have a house on the beach, it's been in our house for a long time, you know, it's generations and, and it, uh, I share it with my parents and it's on the ocean north, an hour and a half north of Seattle. It's very cold water up there. In the summer, it's low 50s, and in, this, in the winter now, it's high 40s. Yo! And so I started maybe 10 years ago now, 
like every time I was up there, I would get in the water. Mm. And it, it started being a thing, almost an obsession, such that now I have a cold plunge at my house. Whoa. How cold do you keep it? Uh, it's in the 50s naturally, because it, it, it does fluctuate with the air temperature. Yeah. Um, I put a hot, hot water, a hot tub, and a cold plunge right next to each other so I can go back and forth. Mm. Game changer. It, the other day, it, I don't know if, uh, I, for the folks that watch my Instagram, it was super cold in Seattle, it was 20 degrees, and I had to break through the ice with a hammer uh -huh. and a bucket, and I was not to be stopped because I have made a deal with myself that I get in this water no matter what, every morning. Doesn't wow. matter if I have to catch a 6 a.m. flight, I'm in that, and if I'm breaking ice Whoa. to get in it, before my 6 a.m. flight, then I'm doing that. Respect. And that's the part that you were talking about, just like deciding in yeah. advance, if you do a thing today that makes you feel good, yeah. like I always have that to fall back on. Some people talk about making their mm -hmm. bed. So longer than I'm more drawn out than it needed to be, but no, I have a awesome. profound, passionate relationship with it. I still don't, I haven't done the whole, you know, Vim mm. program, although I, I missed a chance to go sit with Wim and Tim Man and Tim and Kevin Rose up on a cold mountain somewhere in Europe. Wow. I missed that one. But uh, how has it been for you? What's what's what were you at now in your cold exposure universe? So I mean, compared to somebody who's been doing it as long as you, I'm I'm a neophyte. So I'm about 28 showers in now. Okay. Um, and it is it is such an extraordinary mind game. Mm -hmm. And. I definitely get what you're saying about you feel energized. Like yeah. there are times where, um, because I find the a warm shower is very meditative. Yeah. So I didn't want to completely give that up. So I would go in and I would um, do cold for five, seven minutes, as cold as it'll go. Yep. And then I would do a hot shower for five or 10 minutes. Interesting. And I got out a couple times and I thought, man, it actually doesn't feel as good as going cold. So yeah. the times where I would do a hot shower, I would then, before I got out, I would turn it back to cold Bingo. and stand in the cold until all that sort of warmth from the shower was gone and then get out. And I was like, ah, are there these, it is. Uh, they're cheering for us to get outside. They like the cold the exposure. The movie premiere, they love the cold exposure. Um, does that, how long are you in the shower now when you're talking about to get um, cold? Is this I one, do one, three, five minutes? Like Never less than five. Yeah. So well, I do full cold and um, I know it's never less than five because I actually set a timer to keep me wow. honest. Yeah. And uh, so, and my whole thing is I don't hesitate. I step in the shower and I turn it on. So it's like, I don't, it's, I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm bought in, right? Yeah. There is no hesitation. There's no reason to hesitate. This is happening no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Um, and that means something to me. So I step in, boom, I turn it on and I take a shower. Like, and I have two shower heads. I put them both on so there's nowhere to escape. You are in cold water, <laughs> that is it. And uh, I just let it go, 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 go. And um, sometimes I'll go longer than five minutes. It depends like if I'm in a rush or something, yeah. but I'll usually stay in until I can feel like my core body temperature is low and I'm starting to shake and, um, and then I'll get out. And uh, it, is, it is amazing. But I will say it, it's hard every day. It's not like, oh, I've been doing it for so long now and it's yeah. not hard anymore. It's like, no, 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 it's hard. And that's what makes it awesome. That's yeah. why I feel good about doing it. I'm sort of wondering, it's in a place where I'm very comfortable and I'm not doing it for you know 20 minutes now. Mm -hmm. I'm still like, I'm in my cold plunge for about three minutes in the morning and full submersion up to your chin in things that have ice chunks floating yeah, in. Yeah, that, that's another level of cold. But it's, it's, I have no declination and desire to do it. I feel like I'm, there's probably, there's certainly another level, there's mm -hmm. the Wim Hof le level, right. <laughs> but I'm in, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in a good spot. So 
I think it's fascinating that we're both passionate about cold. So if you folks mm. like, for if you're not too passionate about cold, just just experiment with it just once or twice, and I think there's something there you might like it. And if you are passionate about cold, we'll put some more notes, and I've got a couple of videos about it out there on the internet. And uh, Vim, you you have an episode with him. I haven't had him yeah. on our show, so we'll uh, send people there as well. De definitely get him on your show. Yeah. You would enjoy oh, him no. very much like his <laughs> he's a character yeah, he's amazing it was really cool and researching was intense i think the part that really hit me was so his wife commits suicide and he's just distraught and he said i was I and mean, this is in amsterdam in the winter he's walking by a pond and it's frozen over and he said it was just calling him he had to break through the ice and crawl into the water and it's like I get that, you know, not with cold. Like I've yeah. never had that with cold, but like we all have that with something in our life where it's like, I have no idea why I have to do this, but I have to do this. And hearing him tell that story and how it like just brought something out of him. And I don't know, man, there was just, it really hit me. And I thought, I've got to try this. I've got to like see what there is to this. And I'm obsessed with Goggins and the notion that we all meet ourselves in pain. Like you really see who you are in pain. Wow. And so for people that are thinking about doing this, like you're gonna learn something awesome about yourself because today for some reason, today was a great moment to have the show because it really hit me. I wanted out of the shower immediately. And when I remembered that I controlled that, that I could yeah. shut off that sense of urgency, yeah. there was so much like I had agency in my life. Like, yes. Yeah, like you, you feel yeah. like, so many other things in our lives make us feel like we don't have agency. Yeah. Things are happening to us. Traffic. That, yeah, or, or anxiety, right? Yep. Stress, um, fear, like all things that feel like they are objective things that are the right reaction to what is happening. When in reality, you can get control of that. Like you can learn to control that. And so it was this really powerful way to put myself, because the hard thing about especially anxiety is, there's no way to practice your way out of it. Yeah. Because if you're in a situation that gives you anxiety, chances are there are real stakes. Yeah. So you can't just be like, hey everybody, I'm just gonna practice real fast. <laughs> you're, you're anxious precisely because it yeah. matters. You're in front of a client or you know, you're taking a test or whatever. Something's yeah. going on that has real weight that if you don't do well, it actually will have a detrimental impact. A cold shower, like there's no losing, yeah. right? You can disappoint yourself and, and fail to get in the water, but it's an opportunity for you to practice something hard that has massive gains for you on the outside. It's so hard to find stuff like that. That's, can we talk about anxiety for a second? Yeah, you, said, you, you t said you've dealt with paralyzing yeah, yeah. anxiety. And is this uh, is the cold water pursuit and realizing that you have agency, is that did, are you undertaking this specifically to combat that? And are you still dealing with it? And what's that, that? That's very much part of it for sure. I do still deal with anxiety, but not even remotely close to when it was at its worst. So here is the um, downside of not having any entrepreneurial instincts. When I went into business, I was constantly in over my head. I was in a very uh, brutal environment. So I was being told I was an idiot all the time. It was just really, really harsh. And I just was always nervous. Like I was always nervous I was gonna embarrass myself or get made fun of or that I wasn't going to succeed and I was never going to control the resources and that this was all gonna be for naught. So there was just like all this, I'm constantly in over my head, I'm being made fun of, it's like, it was just hard. And so I started developing like, oh, I'm nervous. Oh, that's weird, I would normally be nervous in this and then like, wow, this nervousness doesn't feel like nervousness anymore. What is this? 
And I was like, oh my God, this is anxiety. I never knew what anxiety was. Yeah. And it's like nervousness that spills over into you can't control your breathing anymore and you like can't think straight and you just feel ungrounded and like a little shivery. It's so weird. And so it got so bad after years and years and years and I wasn't being honest about it. I was trying to completely hide it. I thought my wife would think I was less of a man so I didn't tell her that I was having anxiety. And then it got so bad, we were at her, um, her mom's house who is one of my favorite people on this planet and it was like my mom, or my mom, my wife, her mom and then like maybe her brother and sister. And just, I love these people so much. And she wanted me to tell this stupid little story. I don't even remember what the story was. And I couldn't. And I was so nervous to tell the story so anxious that I just like ran through the story in like a single breath so that I wouldn't like have to like try to breathe and control my breath during the whole thing. And everyone's looking at me like, what just happened? But they couldn't fathom because I'm very verbal. Mm -hmm. So they couldn't fathom that this whole time that they've known me that I've been getting more and more anxious. And so finally I said to my wife, look, I haven't wanted to say anything because I honestly think you're going to think less of me. I have crippling anxiety and it's been getting worse for years and I haven't wanted to say anything, but now it, it's such a problem that if I don't address it, I, I feel like I'm being robbed of my life now. And she was like, I'm so glad you told me. And it was like one of those moments where it's like, everybody tells you again, like I could have been wise, yeah. like people like vulnerability. Um, and. So I was finally vulnerable and I finally told her and then she was just like, what can I do? Like, how can I keep you warm, right? Because I was like, when I get cold, oh my God, it's the worst. And so she's like, you know, always on the lookout, like how do Blankets, we make sure that you're snuggles, warm? Yeah. Like, yeah, do you need a jacket? Do you have a jacket? <laughs> um, so she's just been amazing. And just confessing it made things less. Because now at least I didn't have the anxiety of, oh, and my wife is gonna think less of me. Yeah. She didn't and she was so supportive. And so then I just started researching, like now that I'm not gonna hide it anymore, I'm gonna like research, I'm gonna figure this out, I'm gonna start practicing things. That's, that's why I got into meditation, yeah. was I needed a way to control my anxiety. Um, and so that became profound. The cold thing didn't start because of that, if I'm honest, it was when he said that he could control his autonomic nervous system, and you know the whole thing about you can inject him with an endotoxin, he can shut it down. You can inject him with E. coli and he can shut it down yeah, under see. laboratory conditions. Yeah, that's, that's where I was like, Okay, what? this is crazy, yeah. So I was like, I have to do that. And then when I realized, oh, this also helps with anxiety, I was like, okay, now we gotta, we gotta really go after this. Is the part, just to make sure I understand, is the part that you, that you just said helps with anxiety is that you're the boss of your mind? It's more tactical than that. Yeah. So okay. yes, that's a part of the whole process, but yeah. the real thing is, learning to get control of your breath, learning to breathe from your diaphragm. So what's happening when you're going into, and this goes back to if I understand it, I can picture it and then I can begin to deal with it. Yeah. So really understanding what's happening physiologically with um, anxiety was important. So what's happening is you're going into fight or flight mode. So you're in the sympathetic nervous system. So the blood is leaving your extremities. Um, your Under blood your is leaving your prefrontal cortex and it's going to other areas of your brain to deal with um, fighting or running. And so you actually can't think. The reason you feel like, oh God, like I'm, I can't find my words and is because the blood has actually left those regions of your brain. So I started imagining the blood going back to those and you start to feel like everything's happening so fast. There's just too many points of data coming at you. You like, everything's just racing, racing, racing. So learning to slow your mind down. So that was a big one that you can right now in this moment, just relax. 
breathe from your diaphragm. And I was like, whoa, one, even when I just did that right now, I could feel myself calm down. So it's like breathing from your diaphragm, training yourself, learning how to do that. Because if you're used to breathing from your chest, just mechanically, you're not doing the things to get you out of that state. Mm -hmm. So realizing I can slow down, that I can picture the blood flowing back to my prefrontal cortex, that I can breathe from my diaphragm. And I'm sure you know this, but when you go to slow yourself down, it's super weird. Like you actually feel things relax. You realize, whoa, I was carrying tension. Tension starts to go away, and that feeling that things are racing stops. And so, like, sort of mechanical bit by bit, you begin to get control of your physiology. And what I tell people is there are hooks into your neurochemistry through your physiology. The way that you sit, the posture that you keep, where you're breathing from, all of that begins to change your neurochemistry. It begins to change the way that you feel. It begins to change the allocation of actual blood in your body. And so just beginning to master that mechanistic system yeah. has been transformative. Yeah, a couple things that come to mind when you say it, like all the jumping around in any Tony Robbins seminar, that's literally an attempt to, in a very short amount of time, rewire your brain, the, the biochemistry that's happening with your physiology, when you move your body, certain things happen and then more chemicals or different chemicals are available to you. So it's not just like, hey, we can do this. There's, you know, there's, you're making positive associations right. and releasing a certain sort of chemical. The same thing, I think it'd be, it'd be fascinating if you're listening or watching this show right now, actually do what Tom did and just take a super deep belly breath. Doesn't matter if you're, you know, well maybe if you're running it might be hard, but mm. like, and just how much more chill are you right this second? So I hope, I hope no one was actually fighting or flighting right then and <laughs> asked you to do something you didn't need to do. But I think that's a really interesting point that you made. And, and I felt it too when you said, just stop for just a second. Do a big, nice diaphragm breath. You're like, okay. No. Yeah. Another thing that was, uh, I was thinking about is this, the notion that your brain is not there to keep you happy. It's there to keep you safe and all these things fight or flight your neurochemistry your biology biochemistry is it's controllable by you but you have to realize that you're in control and just the points that you just made for example one is a it's like a a cue that wait a minute i'm the boss i can picture where the blood is flowing in my brain and what kind of breath i take and then when you do that you've counteracted that and that's an example of rewiring your brain. And you do that enough times, and then you are essentially the master of your domain. Yeah. My last question around this little line that we're on here is, you have learned and thought and talked a lot about it, and yet you're still managing it, you're still mastering it. Do you feel like there will is that, a, is that will, will we always, always be trying to master something? And will some, is this escaping your grasp? Is this harder than other things that you've done? Or is it just the next thing in line that you're taking on? No, I think it is the, the hardest thing that I've ever done. And it's the one thing in my life that I, I let go for so long that it really became hardwired. And it's been incredibly encouraging to see how much I can begin to unwind it. And yeah. things that would have had me like, just I, I couldn't bear to move towards it yeah. because I knew how anxious it would make me. Um, that doesn't happen anymore. I can tell stories again. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> um, so there, 
I, I do feel like I will ultimately be able to conquer it, but I, I think that it's gonna take more skills than I have now. So it's something that I have to keep pursuing and that's why when things like cold exposure come along and I realize that they have applications towards that, I really take advantage of that. Um, I make sure that I stay on top of my meditation. I make sure that I stay on top of my mental game, not rehearsing how things could go wrong under the guise of like preparing for the worst case so that I have an exit plan. Like I used to always do that. If I knew I was gonna have to speak, I'd always have an exit plan for if I'm getting super anxious, how do I get out of this? And um, I've, I've realized that doing that made me think, oh, I'm gonna be anxious when I start speaking, which then made the whole event more anxiety provoking. So now I don't do that anymore. So now I just imagine it going well, going perfectly, that I'm gonna be able to impact people, that they're gonna be moved and take something away from it. And so by focusing on that, it's like, I just don't take the time to think the thoughts that make me anxious. So then I essentially forget to be anxious, which is actually true. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when my anxiety was at its absolute worst, I used to think, I wish someone would, like whatever thing they need me to like deliver on, because, because I'm good at speaking, people would be like, Tom, 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 tell him, tell him. And if they caught me off guard and I didn't have time to get anxious about it, I could do it flawlessly. Yeah. Because I would just go into the delivery. But like for instance, if I knew we had this big meeting and I knew, Tom, at 40 minutes into this meeting, we're gonna be turning to you and we're gonna introduce you and then you do your thing. God, while they were introducing me, my anxiety just be building, <laughs> building, building. And so things like that were, were really terrible and I don't struggle with that kind of thing anymore. So it's, I, I've definitely come a long way, but it's still a daily thing. Let's get tactical just for a second because I think what I hear and learn about is for the people who are in pursuit of their dreams or want to or are stuck or the people who uh, are masters and have been faking it for a long time, anxiety is a real thing. There's all mm -hmm. kinds of drivers in our culture that didn't used to be there that are there that we're now having to address. You talked about meditation, cold exposure, uh, visualization, any other just simple things? Diet's huge. Yeah. Diet and exercise are, are massive and, yeah. and I would highly encourage people if you have anxiety, while meditation is huge, I think it's position number three. So I think first, you need to get your diet and your exercise right. I, I wish those weren't so important when it comes to anxiety, but they really are. Hmm. Um, so I have found, and it's gonna be different for everybody, sure. so you have to find your trigger foods. But for me, I found like if I'm having a lot of sugar, if I'm having um, even just a lot of carbohydrates, yeah. then I'm gonna be just in a way worse position. I have inflammation like crazy, even my joints hurt. So it's like, it gets really easy to tell, okay, this is potentially problematic and I'm more likely to be just sort of a high reactive. So it might not even all be anxiety. I'm just more reactive. I'm more likely to be slightly irritable. So am um, I careful on that? Your caffeine, micro can we talk about caffeine for a second? Yeah, so I don't get an extreme response from caffeine, so um, I find that like I can drink caffeine right before bed and, and be good, but if I really go crazy, then it gives me that same slightly jittery feeling, yeah. and yeah. so that triggers that sense of, wait, is this anxiety? I think a lot of people, for what it's worth, just injecting here, I think caffeine is a major trigger culturally. I call it worry, worry juice. Yeah. You know, just like, hey, chill out on the worry juice figure out whatever you have to do to just mitigate your caffeine intake. Mm -hmm. And I know people that have just either gone to decaf quick completely or just have one cup first thing in the morning or whatever. And that alone can just be a massive transformative thing. So while we're at it, but yeah, back to you. So I, and I have heard a, a lot of people talk about I think about the half-life of caffeine is longer than it was originally thought to be so, and it depends on your biochemistry of course, right. but how fast that can get out and people are stacking it on 
and it's like you're, if you start off the day with caffeine still in your system from the day before, mm-hmm. and you pile on, and you do that five days in a row, then you you know you're peaking out on. Right. Um, okay, you talked about I think exercise and nutrition. I think that's super helpful. Is there any other weird esoteric things around that you've got around uh, no, how to I mitigate mean, that stuff? You've got things like the neurochemistry of cuddling on somebody that you love is real. Yeah. And so taking moments like that to make sure that you bathe your brain and, and just feel good, you know, connection, touch, yeah. being around people that love and care about you, like all that stuff. Mental well-being is a real fucking thing. Yeah. Like, and failing to pay attention to that um, like you said with caffeine, the stuff just starts to stack, right? Yeah. Like it's just a little bit from this, a little bit from that, a little bit from that, and it just all starts to add up. Um, but that's that's my repertoire. All right, I want to end with one thing. So you had a question that you posed to me at the end of your show. Um, I don't have a question that I pose at the end of my show, but it occurs to me that you have a good answer for the question that you ask at the end of your show. So, tell us what question you ask at the end of your show, and what's your answer to that question? The question I ask every guest is, what's the impact you want to have on the world? And if I can sum it up, like in my sort of heart of hearts, what I'm trying to do is save Rashan. And, you know, unfortunately, it's like that ship has sailed, but when I really think about what I'm doing, mm-hmm. it's... I know there are people out there right now that are extraordinary human beings. They're the next Elon Musk, they're the next you know, Einstein, but they're never gonna do anything with their life because they don't believe that they can. And the only thing that is stopping them is mindset. Yeah. And so my whole thing is how do you make sure that people at least encounter an empowering mindset? I can't make them um, you can't make them want it. You can't make them make change. But so many people don't make change simply because they they don't know what an empowering mindset is. They yeah. don't know what a growth mindset is. They yeah. don't know the power of the word yet. And so they never try because they don't think that their efforts are going to be rewarded. And when people don't think their efforts are going to be rewarded, rightly, they don't invest time and energy in it. But if they just had that switch and they realized it's not going to be easy, but you really can do anything you set your mind to, and that all of this is a process. Wanting is a process. Passion is a process. Learning is a process. And so if I can reach into the culture and just make that the thing that we all say, it's the thing that we repeat, that everybody repeats, that of course you can go and learn that thing, that people don't waste time telling you that you can't do it, that yeah. because they just it's such a default in the cultural subconscious that yeah, you can learn that, like the brain is plastic and humans are the ultimate adaptation machine. And the only way that I see to do that is to tell stories that have that message at its core, that are entertaining first and foremost, that you don't even realize that it has a message. It's just all the characters that you love and that you worship, they all have this empowering belief system. They all start broken and afraid and alone and they build themselves and they realize, they have that moment of realization where they are all that they need They just have to put in the effort to become the best. And if I can make that the cultural subconscious and the the just assumed hero's narrative that people adopt, whether it's through cartoons, movies, comic books, what their parents say, then I will have done what I'm here to do.
So eloquent. That was an amazing answer. Thank you, man. Such a treat to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. What's the best of the coordinates? Just uh, do you want imp add at, impact? At Tom Billu. At Tom Billu. And which is B I L E. So close. B I L Y E U. E A U. E A U. E U. No A. So let's so. say it one more time really clearly. Well, B I L Y E U. Yeah, I wish it were easier. No. But <laughs> alas, that's it. So, and uh, does add impact theory, is that, do they have their own coordinates as well? We, we do, yeah. Okay. It's not nearly as active, so at okay. Tom is where okay. people want to go, even for impact theory stuff. Yeah, great. Thanks for being on the show, bud. Appreciate Thanks it. For me, man. Folks, check out Tom's stuff, and see you again probably, hopefully, maybe tomorrow. All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash creative live or at creative live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.